12th anniversary special. Hello, and welcome to Divabetics Diabetes Late Night Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Mr. Divabetic, and tonight we're celebrating 12 consecutive years of hosting and presenting and producing our podcast. Now, I can't believe it's, it's 10,000 listeners a year. We have over like 120,000 uh, loyal listeners and it's fantastic, and it's hard to put into words. I just want to express my gratitude to all of our loyal listeners from around the globe, all the guests that have been on this show, uh, our amazing podcast team, our producer, Lisa Chester Weir, who helps out all the time on the Mystery Podcast, Sony Music, Jeff James, for helping us make diabetes education and empowerment so entertaining and that's been my goal back dating back to 2003 when my former boss Luther Vandross had a stroke related to mismanagement of type 2 diabetes I made a commitment then and tonight I reaffirm that commitment to really work hard to not use fear tactics but to help you live your best life so you can prevent a complication such as stroke from occurring so uh, you just heard the song, My Kind of Girl, by our musical inspiration, Babyface, who has written over 250 top 10 R&B and pop hits, working with the likes of Beyonce, uh, Beyonce, Aretha Franklin, Celine Dion, Luther Vandross, and Whitney Houston. And I have a secret. This summer, I wrote the lyrics to a song that uh, for a month was on the UK top soul charts. And I'm so excited later on the show, you're going to meet one of my co-writers on the song Mama's Kitchen Table. But uh, I'm not any means like Babyface. And his ability to craft a song not only touches our emotions and captivates our ears, but it aligns every word in perfect harmony. It's just a rare gift that not many people in music have. And it's just one of the reasons why he's so special and again, to me, why you're so special to spend this time with me tonight, as well as my guests. Joining me for this special anniversary podcast will be poet Lorraine Brooks, one of our favorite educators, Susan Weiner, collage artist Tom Kokodos, and singer, songwriter, musician, producer Ivan Hampton, Jr. Now, tonight we're talking about California fighting the rising cost of insulin by producing their very own insulin starting in 2024-25, I believe. A woman's right to choose and what it means to your diabetes health. Our Diva Product podcast being featured in the summer issue of Diabetes Self-Management magazine, plus the art of living well with type 1 diabetes and the secrets 
to great songwriting. That's all coming up in the show. But first, we're going to hear some more music from our musical inspiration. This next song pairs Babyface with one of my favorite artists from the 80s, Pebbles. I don't know. uh, You might have seen her in the TLC documentary about she was their first producer, and uh, uh, apparently she was part of the bankruptcy issues that that band faced. But that's all for another day. Right now we're going to listen to Pebbles and Baby that's teaming up on Love Makes Things Happen. This song spent two weeks at number one on the U.S. Hot R&B Singles Chart and peaked at number 13 on the Billboard Hot 100. Let's take a listen to Love Makes Things Happen, courtesy of Sony Music. for Trashing Pebbles because I am a huge fan. I love Mercedes Boy and giving you the best of God. I had a couple of her albums back in the day, but there is a lot of stuff to be uncovered around her and TLC, and I'll let you do your own research for that. All right, well, you know, I, I was writing the Nevedetic newsletter the other day, and I said I would discuss today the top three things I've learned from hosting a podcast for 12 years on diabetes and diabetes self-care. And number three is really just community and the importance of taking a friend to your doctor's appointment. I think a lot of times you feel so anxious in the appointment, especially if you're just newly diagnosed, that a lot of those important, that a lot of that important information goes right over your head or It just becomes so emotional. You might not write things down. So why not bring a friend or loved one to the doctor's office? I've interviewed a lot of people about that, and most people agree that it is very helpful. Uh, Number two, and I'm going to be talking to Susan Wiener about this a little bit, is planning ahead. You know, this idea of diabetes gets really overwhelming, especially around food, when you think you have to focus on it all the time. But it's those moments when you don't focus on it that you just kind of forget that really seemed to cause problems or has caused problems for many of our our guests over the past 12 years. So planning ahead, especially when it comes to food, is really important, and we'll be talking a little bit later with Susan Wiener about that. And then number one, which I think is a great introduction to my first guest, is that words matter, especially the words we say to ourselves. You know, that's one of the themes of this year's mystery podcast happening in the fall, is that toxic self-talk we do to ourselves and how much harm it causes 
And one of my special guests on that mystery podcast is my good friend, health guru, High Voltage, who starts her day with an affirmation. She usually says, I'm happy, I'm, he- I, I'm, happy, I'm healthy, I am my best, and I deserve the best. And that just jump starts a good attitude all day long. But when it comes to words, I'd love to talk to the queen of the pen, our narrator on the mystery podcast. Please welcome Lorraine Brooks. Hi, Lorraine. Hi, Max. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for being a part of our anniversary special. I really appreciate it tonight. Well, before we get started, I just want to say congratulations on your anniversary first and also on your um, songwriting success. So not only are you a successful podcaster and advocate and playwright, but now you can add songwriter to your resume. I think it's wonderful. You're a real renaissance man. <laughs> Thank you. From coming from you, it's a huge compliment, and it was a it was a huge surprise. And it's been it's been one of the joys of the summer for me to just uh, to experience people experiencing that song and how much they've enjoyed it. So, uh, you know, and there's some really fun lines in that song that made me think like words have power. So I'd I'd love to get your feedback on you know toxic self talk. Do you think that has any had any impact on your overall health as well as your diabetes wellness? Well, Max, you know, you've known me for a long time, and you and I have talked about this, and I think I've even, um, I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast before. Yeah, I think that that's probably my biggest enemy is what I tell myself. And, you know, um, to, to talk myself out of the things that I tell myself. Um, I can be my own worst critic. I can... Uh, make myself feel bad if I make a mistake or I, you know, forget something or I don't feel like doing something, I can make myself feel pretty guilty about that. And it's not helpful. Um, so, and yeah. Do you think it gets worse as you get realize. older? Do you, do you think it's good, it gets worse as you get older or easier? Because personally for me, I feel like I've let a lot of it go. I, I just kind of like, okay, tomorrow's another day kind of moment. And I and I don't mean that jokingly. I mean, it took work to get there, but I honestly feel uh, a lot of times lately I'm just not I'm just not so in my head about things anymore because I just maybe I, once you once you get past fifty, you're kind of thinking like uh, just enjoy those time you have here, you know, on the planet. Well, honey, wait till you get to seventy. Okay, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> But when it comes to uh, diabetes yeah, think, health, Lorraine, <laughs> yeah, like when it comes to your diabetes health, can you can you do you have an do you have an example of how it might have applied to your diabetes health? Like, do the numbers well, kind of uh, motivate? Know, it's, it's funny you say that because I, I think it is true that um, you know age does change some things, and uh, one of the things it changes is patience for a lot of people, and I can definitely say that about me. I don't have the patience that I used to have. Um, and so that's a challenge for me. I used to, you know, be a real food planner and a food prepper and, you know, the sort of person who does all my meals on Sunday night and packs them up to take to work and all of that. And, of course, now I don't have to go to work anymore. But um, I find I, I don't have the patience a lot of times. And I have to really remind myself that it's okay to – not want to do something one day or it's okay to 
you know, to have one of those days when you just you just want to relax and not have to think about it. So I think it is true that as you get older, um, not only does your body change, but your mind changes and your ability to to uh, think things through, you know, gets changes a bit and your ability to concentrate changes a bit and certainly your, your patience and your stamina and your strength and all of that absolutely changes as you get older. So you have to make changes as you go forward. You have to adjust. And that's, you know, well, you know the process. And, and, and it's different for everyone. Yeah, and, and patience uh, is being required a lot of us lately with some of the headlines that are flying around the globe. And I wanted to talk about two of them with you tonight. So um, uh, the first one, we're we'll the good news. Okay, so California's governor, Gavin Newsom, announced that the state will spend $100 million to combat the, the skyrocketing cost of insulin. They're going to spend half of that will go directly into developing a low-cost insulin product, while the other half will be going to building a manufacturing facility so they can create a cheaper price, close to cost insulin for everyone in that state. And we're talking about California. Now we've interviewed so many people on this podcast and switching your brand of insulin, uh, Lorraine, isn't as easy as people think. And sometimes it doesn't uh, give you the results you're looking for. So I'm curious how you respond to this topic. Well, first of all, I think it's a wonderful um, piece of news. I hope that they're successful with it. Um, I did a little, a little bit of reading about it, and it looks like um, it's going to take a couple of years before it actually hits the market. But um, I think it's a, I think it's a wonderful thing to do. I, um, I have switched. I haven't switched in types of insulin, but I've switched from a pump to a pen, or vice versa, from a pen to a pump. And anytime I think you make some changes, uh, you have to pay more attention. I have the uh, CGM monitoring system, so that helps. But I think you have to pay more attention any time you make any changes. And, you know, again, that can, that can wear thin on you as well because it's another thing to have to pay attention to. But I think it's a wonderful thing. The insulin prices have gotten way out of hand, as you know. Um, many years ago, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I have a good... Uh, uh, insurance prescription plan, but many years ago, I was on vacation, and I had one vial of insulin with me, and I was um, uh, loading a syringe in a public bathroom, and my vial of insulin fell on the floor. The floor was um, marble tile, and the vial of insulin broke, and that was the only vial I had with me, and I was on vacation. I wasn't at home. So I called my insurance company and I asked them, you know, if they could send us just one vial to a local pharmacy so that I could have it while I was on vacation. And after a while, you know, it took a while to get them to do it, but they did it. And when I went to pick the insulin up, it was almost $400 for that one vial. Uh, And it wasn't chargeable to my insurance because they had already filled my quota for that month or whatever it was. So it's real, you know. I'm I'm lucky that I I don't have that issue, but if you have to pay almost four hundred dollars for a vial of insulin, that can be life changing. It is life changing. And we, you and know, our, our annual podcast, uh, our annual mystery podcast, talked about the real, the tragic real life story of Kevin Hodeshell, who basically yeah. did not have the mo- the money to afford that, and his family had done so much on 
access in changing the laws around prescription. We're not beating up pharmacists because that was a law that they couldn't renew an expired prescription in this case, but uh, it's a great podcast that people should tune into. And I think that's great that you shared that, Lorraine, because it is, it's important. And I think hopefully other states will follow. And I heard they already are uh, California's footsteps. Okay. So the second topic, which really goes close to our hearts, um, was about Roe versus Wade and the decision just that happened. And of course, we're not going to talk about specifically about that. We're just going to talk about how it could limit access to the necessary health care for people who have risky parents, pregnancies and how it could overrun our healthcare systems in general at hospitals that aren't used to having to handle these new births and deliveries that could be created by women who are not able to now have uh, safe abortions. And I'm just curious, when you think about the Supreme Court decision and your health as a woman, what comes to your mind? Um, Well, gee, a number of things. Um, Anger, I think, maybe first. Uh, fear, um, uh, frustration. Um, I, I was a you know a child of the '60s, and um, we were part of the generation that fought for for that Roe for, for Roe v. Wade um, to be enacted. And you know, I read something online the other day that really hit home to me. It said, um, "It's not going to stop a." It's not going to stop abortions, uh, you know, if you um, put a law into place. It won't stop abortions. It'll just make more people die from having abortions because they're going to do it anyway. They'll find a way. They'll do it illegally. They'll do it, uh, you know, in back rooms, and we'll we'll be going backwards to where we were, you know, back in the early part of the last century. And um, and and I'm very angry about that. It. Uh, you know the word autonomy comes to mind that you don't you, 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 our our autonomy is being taken away in, in in small and sometimes big doses and um that's dangerous it's a slippery slope and i don't i don't i don't know where we go from here i i'm afraid of other things i'm afraid of the uh snowball effect you know the domino effect that that's just one one piece of the iceberg but there were other there are going to be other things to follow so I think it's really important that people understand that and understand that women who are desperate to get abortions are still going to get abortions. They're just not going to be safe abortions. I agree. And you, you actually uh, wrote a poem about it for us to, to read tonight on our podcast. Well, you um, told me what you wanted to talk about, and I thought about it a little bit. And uh, to me, it comes down to choice. And so I wrote a poem and called it A Woman's Choice. A woman's choice, a woman's voice, a voice that claims her rightful domains to make decisions without derision, to control our fate, to procreate, to love at will, to take a pill. I've had my fill of Capitol Hill. They tell me why I must comply with laws that make me someone's property. Heaven forbid I choose to get rid of a child of a rape or a need to escape from abuse or unfairness, from lack of awareness. A part of this nation, I want education, and as a minority, I resent superiority. I resent being told I must fit in your mold and that I must submit to some old hypocrite who is hell-bent on taking me back to last century. 
We're not done fighting for laws that need writing, for fairness and decency and justice spread evenly. The fight is not over. The U.S. will recover from all this confusion and once and for all honor its constitution. Lorraine, I read it 10 times earlier, but your live performance, you nailed it. I I love this poem, and I love having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of our our 12th anniversary and also just taking on this topic. It was really important to me that we talk about things in our hearts, and uh, I I know you did that tonight. That's something that really matters to both of us. Well, thank you, as always, Max, and congratulations again. And uh, thank you for having me. This is an important topic. I'm going to put myself on mute and listen to the rest of the show. All right. Well, coming up is one of our friends. She's one of the best educators in the country. She's not going to say that, but I will. Susan Wiener is going to share her insights into researching the vast array of diabetes podcasts available today and how to integrate some of that peer advice you might hear on this show or another into your diabetes wellness plan. But first, here's another song from our musical inspiration, Babyface. This song hit number one. It's a duet featuring Karen White. Karen White was nominated for the uh, Best R&B Urban Contemporary New Artist category at the 1989 Soul Train Music Awards. Here's Love Saw It, courtesy of Sony Music. Let's listen. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. My next guest is an award-winning nutrition, health, and diabetes expert who served as the 2015 ADCES Diabetes Educator of the Year. She's also the co-author of The Complete Diabetes Organizer, Your Guide to a Less Stressful and More Manageable Diabetes Life, and Diabetes 365 Tips for Living Well. Welcome to the show, Susan Wiener. Hi, Susan. Hi, Max. Thank you so much for having me on this, your 12th anniversary special. Congratulations to you and the amazing team. (laughs) It's been a long time, trust me. And you've been part of so many shows, and I know our listeners just appreciate your friendly, down-to-earth approach for kind of tackling some of the chaos around managing your diabetes. And earlier you heard me mention how planning ahead is like such an important part or an essential thing that people should be thinking about managing their diabetes. A lot of times we're talking about it regarding food. So I'm just curious what your thoughts on that are for our listeners tonight. Of course, it's extremely individualized planning ahead, but I think that it's been so challenging since COVID to plan meals. And now with 
rising costs and inflation around food, budgetary problems, even gas prices for food shopping. So planning ahead has really never been more important, Max. And that may mean different things to different people. Um, starting very simply with perhaps plan, looking what you already have in your house, planning ahead by looking at the inventory in your pantry, your cabinets, your refrigerator, and your freezer, just starting there, creating a food shopping list, and even sharing that food shopping list with anyone else who may be living under the same roof as you so that everybody can kind of chime in and also contribute to not only preparing the meals, but in shopping for the meals and cleaning up afterwards. All of these things could be time savers. But I do think that the last couple of years have caused additional burnout, burnout in life, diabetes burnout, and some you know, additional distress that we haven't even thought about. So you have to do what's best for you. And if you used to, as Lorraine was talking about, she doesn't always – um, chop and dice the way that she used to on Sunday nights and pre-prepare for the week. Maybe it's, it's more applicable to buy things that are pre-cut up for you um, and, and kind of weave that into what you're already doing. But a little planning with the current inflation and gas prices and the stress and anxiety that we might be feeling can go a very long way in relieving some of the anxiety around preparing food. Yeah, I mean, I think my reaction is really that concept or comment that people have made about, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about my next meal. I don't want to think about it, you know, because diabetes puts such a focus on that. And I think that sometimes, like, you run out of your house without any idea of what you're going to be eating through the day or how you're going to get it is where there's – or even in your car, you don't have any – fast-acting glucose or things that could help you could be the thing that causes the problem. And in that way, I feel it's kind of, you know, like to your point, it's like that small step that could just kind of lead you back or might, you know, might not tip you all the way into distress. But I totally agree with what you're saying. I know people feel very overwhelmed right now. No, it's, it's, it's a really important discussion to have. So if one, and, and you're talking about having a source of fast-acting glucose, if you go through an experience where you don't have that, the anxiety of going through that and not wanting to do it again, perhaps that's a small step where you bring something non-perishable with you, leave it in the glove compartment of your car or in the bag that you're taking to work or to school. That might help you feel better about your day, having that confidence. So it's kind of weighing all the different options, but sometimes we don't know what lies ahead in our day. Some days our days are more organized than we do, and some days that we don't. Even having options of, of perhaps knowing where you're going for the day, if you don't bring things with you, knowing what are the best options that are nearby that works for you, again, within your budget, within your what you want to be in your nutrition plan, what's accessible and available and on your schedule. These tiny, small steps can be so helpful in reducing stress and anxiety. I agree. And that's advice given on a diabetes podcast. And you just did us a huge favor by including us in your article for the summer 2022 issue of Diabetes Self-Care, I mean, Self-Management Magazine. You did a whole, you profiled eight different types of diabetes podcasts. And I'm just wondering, like, what sparked your interest to write about podcasts in general? 
and, and I want to say, even before I get into that discussion, Max, this podcast was the first one that came to my mind. So thank you for everything that you, that you do again. Wow. Um, thank you. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All the education, the advocating, the inspiration is worth the perspiration that I believe that you and the team put into your podcast. So over the course of the pandemic, when people are feeling so isolated, and I have been someone who's providing a tremendous amount of webinars for various organizations and companies, but it's kind of a one-way discussion in terms of information on, on webinars. Podcasts are typically discussions and stories that resonate with communities. So when I pitched the idea, because I write regularly, I actually have a couple of articles in this particular issue of Diabetes Self-Management Magazine, I, I was thinking about podcasts and the way that people can listen to it on the way to work or if they're working from home in the background, where you can download it for later use, where you may really um, tune in and hear people discussing a topic that you may have been uncomfortable to bring up, but it's the way that the podcast engaged people that I, I didn't even realize um, how much that has meant to people over the last few years. And not just about diabetes, but anything that interests you in food, in travel, in health, in in any kind of interest that, that somebody may have. So that's really what sparked my information inspiration for writing the article. Um, and then when I looked into what, and there were so many different podcasts that are out there that I think I might be writing a, a part two to this article, maybe um, towards the end of the year or, or next year, was I wanted to look at different podcasts that people with diabetes would really tune into. And of course, your podcast came first to mind, but I also highlighted The Huddle, which was conversations with the diabetes care team which is the podcast through ADCES, the Association of Diabetes Care and Education Specialists, because it inspires people from the healthcare team on topics that they may not find in another place. Um, and I even included one called the Sound Bites podcast because yeah, that I love one that basically, one. It's a great podcast by by Melissa Dobbins, but it's not just diabetes focused. It's about everything nutrition-related focus and anything that might affect gut health and heart health and what some of the hot topics are so that might connect people with diabetes as well. So all different kinds of diabetes podcasts, again, that might inspire, connect, motivate people. And the outpouring of um, people's positive comments after this article is great because it really showed people the different kinds of podcasts that are out there. Well, when I, I agree with you about how it bu builds community. I mean, we feel it on our side. It, you know, for me, it's a chance to connect with our listeners around the globe in a way we couldn't do at a live event. And obviously during the pandemic when we weren't doing any outreach, it was a great way to um, stay connected. But one of the issues I mentioned earlier is just a around the chaos, around all the different messages you get. And even on this podcast, someone might grab some information that they heard you say tonight or Lorraine or Tom coming up or Ivan and run and try to put it into work. What's the best way for, or what do you recommend? I don't like to use the word best, but what's your recommendation on if I hear something, what should I do with it uh, related to my diabetes wellness? 
Yeah, it's a great point, and, and I actually put in the article that you, while you may consider adopting some of this information shared in a podcast, always consult your physician or consult your healthcare team before making any changes. And I put that. And Susan, I, wait, you know, can I just say you put that at, you put that right at the top of the article, and I really appreciated I sure that because I thought it was so important. I so I read the article. Sure <laughs> did. I sure did because that's extremely important. A lot of these, a lot of podcasts in general and information coming out in general that we hear, especially from people with diabetes or people who love someone who, who has diabetes, which is why they started the podcast, are very passionate, Max. The conversations are extremely passionate. So the information applies to some people but may not apply to you in your specific situation. What I think is fantastic to take away from the podcast is the idea to have a conversation about it with your healthcare provider, your physician, your healthcare team, your diabetes care and education specialist. Perhaps there is a, a, a medication you're hearing about it or a different way of getting your insulin, switching from multiple daily injections to a pump, for example, or going on a CGM. Perhaps you are inspired by this discussion. That inspiration should foster a discussion with your healthcare team. That's what I think that we should take away from many of these podcasts. I just want to ask, so like how do your peers react to a patient coming in with information from Dr. Google? Because we've all done it. We've all gone on Google and, you know, found information. How, how do I approach that conversation? And in general, what is the reaction from your peers when patients come to them with outside information from a study or something they saw on their favorite TV show or, or uh, influencer uh, doing. So those are a lot of different points, and I put the person with diabetes in the center as the hub of the wheel and all the different informational aspects as the spokes going into the, the wheel. And the reason I describe it as that way is I can't speak for all clinicians, but I look at it as a collaborative discussion. Because if you just spew information, even if it's the evidence-based great information, a person's going to shut off completely if they're thinking in another way or if they have another goal or if they want to try something. So in my practice, and I've been in practice for 30 years, I always listen to the information that a person comes to me with, and I always listen to what they're saying and where they heard it from. At that point, I would discuss some of the pros and perhaps some of the cons of pursuing that and maybe offer additional information and education about going in a different direction. However, and this is true with technology and apps, many times people come to me with information that they hear through the community for people living with diabetes where I'm like, you know what, that's not an avenue that I considered um, recommending to you, but it sounds pretty good, and then we explore it. So I think that it depends on where it comes from, and I think part of what a diabetes care and education specialist has to do is, of course, educate, but educate in an individualized, personalized, non-judgmental, non-stigmatized way and think about it from the point of view of the person who's living with diabetes, not just from the point of view of how we were educated or the latest article that came out or the latest way to do things. There were reasons that people want to go in a, in a variety of different directions. 
And that's why you're one of the best educators, and people should know yep. they can find out more about you at SusanWienerNutrition.com. I mean, it's that kind of friendly willingness that I think more people want from our healthcare collaborators that we could come to them with, you know, Kim Kardashian type keto ideas and you could kind of help us find our way around that. (laughs) So I don't want to go into that topic, but I just want to, you know, let people know that there are a lot of friendly educators out there. And one of the things we try to do on this podcast is always go to the credentialed healthcare collaborator for their information and suggestions around the topic rather than just have a discussion without any credentials. So thank you for helping me continue that tradition for the last 12 years, Susan. And you've been a big part of this podcast, and I know our listeners always enjoy hearing from you. It's my honor and my pleasure to work with you, Max, and I I look forward to seeing you again sometime very soon. All right, well, uh, I know you've got to run, so we're going to let you go, and we're going to play some more music from our musical inspiration, Babyface. Our next song is from his debut studio album entitled Lovers, which he co-wrote, he wrote, co-produced, and performed. The song peaked at number eight on the Billboard R&B charts. Here's Love You, Babe, courtesy of Sony Music. Welcome back to Diaries Late Night. My next guest is a New York City-based collage artist who has always seems to be working, whether it's on the subway or in his studio. He has commissioned work. His commissioned work has taken him all over the world, including places like Buenos Aires, Miami, Berlin, and Moscow, where in several of those cities he staged his one-person exhibitions. Some of his clients include the New York Times, Sports Illustrated, Newsweek, Random House, and Yahoo, and he's currently or has been working on his fifth children's book for National Geographic. I know him from playing volleyball, so please welcome fine artist, collage artist, Tom Kakudos. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hi, Max. Great. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for joining us tonight. It's our 12th year anniversary, and I love what you're doing, and I thought people would want to learn about a fine artist living with diabetes. I think it's spectacular. your work and I urge everyone to check out your website as we did earlier so they could see some of the work we're going to be talking about. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So you were diagnosed with type one diabetes uh, a while ago. Tell us a little bit about when you were first diagnosed and how your family and friends reacted to it back then. I was diagnosed in 2002 and it was a surprise to me and to my family. There's no other diabetics I know of in my family. And I had all the classic symptoms, but I didn't really think about diabetes because I just didn't really know much about it and didn't have a family history. Uh, and I had a long, I guess what they call the honeymoon period, where they weren't sure if it was type 1 or type 2. And uh, it's just, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was an adjustment you know, to a new, a new way of uh, a, a new lifestyle and managing it. Were you playing volleyball back then, or did uh, – I'm just curious, like, how did it affect not, your sport? Yeah. 
I was not yet, and, I don't think, but the sport was a huge boom for, for managing it because, of course, you know, it brings down the numbers. And I always find when I'm more active, my blood sugar seems to not only be lower, but I feel like I do have lows, but it's also somehow steadier. So the volleyball and how do, has so been how, very important. So in the past 20 years, because this is your anniversary year, your diabetes anniversary, how have you, have you tried different things? How, how did you first start managing it versus how are you managing it today? Like what tools are you using? I started for the first couple of years with medication, but then I, had, I started taking insulin shots. And I uh, switched over to a pump many years ago. I've been using the uh, insulin pump for, for many years. Uh, which I love having. I mean, it's so much easier than, than shots, I find. And I've also been using a, a continuous glucose meter for many years as well. And uh, I, I tend to, my blood sugar tends to swing up and down quite a bit. So the meter has been a huge help with that. And I'm just curious because we're going to start talking a little bit about your art. You said in an interview you did with a design, uh, design Arts Daily that like many artists, you're probably obsessive. And I'm just wondering, does that apply to your diabetes too? Do you find there's a similarity there? Do you ever get obsessive about your numbers or anything related to your diabetes the way you do about your artwork? I sometimes do. And, and, and the uh, continuous meter is, is extremely helpful, but it, it's also very easy to keep on looking at it. And it's easy to get obsessive about it. But I did, it's interesting that you mentioned my obsession in my artwork. I've actually applied that obsession and try to channel it into my artwork. And I, uh, a past series I was working on was actually I would use, whenever I did a finger stick test, to to make a really quick little self-portrait. And what I was doing was I would do the finger stick, I would put the blood on the, on the test strip, and then the excess blood I would smear on a little piece of watercolor paper, maybe three by four inches. And that blood smear would become my mouth I would do a little ink drawing for my, my face. And I would do one with every test four times a day. And what I found interesting was I tried to convey my state through the, the expression, the mood in the face. But also, you know, if your blood sugar is low, you get shaky. And so my line quality got shaky. So I not only had the blood sugar number, but then the quality of the line was another indication of my blood sugar level. And what I did was I sort of made a, a tapestry of a year's worth of blood sugar tests, I think like 1,500 little tiny self-portraits. And I would always do them on the spot. So if I was low, I'd be eating the glucose while I was, you know, I was doing a little portrait. And, and, and I'd struggle through them. And uh, so the, the quality of the line would, would be an indication of the blood sugar level. Can people see it? Did you did you ever show that work, or where would, where I, would did I, show I, it. I think I people would be know. so curious to see it? I might. I, you know, that's a good question. I don't know. If I should put that on my website. I don't have it on there. Uh, I will. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll post them on my Instagram feed, so it's up there. Because I don't know if I have any out there right now. And we'll we'll share them. So. So, like, along with along with those sketches, did you were you logging numbers at all? I'm just curious because I know you carry a sketchbook with you everywhere, and yes. you're always jotting and, and doing something. Do you ever just while we're talking about diabetes before we get into your work uh, yeah. with collage? Did you did you ever 
I, obviously those portraits are really kind of showcasing your mood as well as like you said about your uh, the shakiness and some of the lows. But did you ever kind of put any other information down along with that or even in a separate sketchbook where you were well, using kept, as a logbook? I, I, I kept a logbook, which was more informational than part of my art practice, but I, I would obsessively the first few years or so log every meal, every blood sugar, so, you know, you can do that analysis of what, what food is you're reacting to and how you're reacting to it. And the same with exercise. Uh, but I never did anything more with that. I have a box full of little log books from those years. And I would also think you would get lost in your artwork. How do you know how to take care of yourself? You know, how do you, does, you're really relying on your, your uh, pump to be with some warning signs, right? Because don't you get lost sometimes in doing your artwork? I do. And, and I do. To... And the other thing I I find that sometimes happens is, you know, I'm trying to take a bolus before I eat. And if my blood sugar is a little high, even give a little more time. And I, I start to forget to eat for the bolus I had taken a half hour earlier. All of a I was shaking it very low. And so I actually have to set my, my alarm to remind me to eat because uh, I definitely get, 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 I lose track of time when I'm working. Max, are you there? Hello? Hello? Oh, Max? Yes, I can hear you. Sorry, um, I lost you there. Yes, I'm here. So we were just talking about the work you've done and um, telling people, give them a description of your collage work. Uh, well, I work in all paper. I like using fan material, and I like working at different sizes. So I work from tiny little couple of inches to 15 feet wide. And... Um, Drawing is very important to me. It's figurative work, so a good drawing is at the base of all my work, and to me that's very important. But I also like um, using fan material, and um, I like the, the element that it's it's, it's uh, you know recycling and reusing. But also, there's something about for my artistic practice. I find I really enjoy both having limitations of material. So, you know, I have to work with what I find and also the, the, the problem solving of trying to figure out, well, I have this, this found material, which can be almost, you know, garbage and not the prettiest, but how do I make it beautiful? And it's something about having to make that, 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 that translation from, from ugly to beautiful. I, I like that challenge and it, it pushes me. Have you, did you start as an uh, illustrator painter and work into collage or was collage something that you started very young and you just kept going with that? Well, as a child, I, I didn't speak till I was five years old. Uh, and uh, I, I, I sort of started to use imagery. And I would at that point, almost like collage, I would find images to sort of communicate. And so I just always had that nature. But then when I went into the arts, I, w I was painting. Uh, so, you know, I left my, my collage nature behind, but then I sort of rediscovered it while I was in school. 
and I realized that uh, I had that affinity affinity to collage that just for me works well. And so from from graduate school on, I've, I've been pretty much collaging. But I feel I use the collage in, in uh, a sort of painterly fashion, because to me the paper is it's almost like paint. I'm drawing, I'm, I'm using the the paper for for color and texture, even line. So it's not really montages of photos, but it's really using the the, the pure color of the paper. All right, so I wanted to talk about you have like you have a beautiful collection of bees and also like pop culture celebrities from Maggie Smith to uh, David Bowie. So that and oh, you yeah, did yeah. even Obama and um, Hillary Clinton. So. Let's start with the pop celebrities and what, okay. how these come about. I, and you agreed that we would do a Zoom call so people could see some of your artwork. But for right now, yeah, we're yeah, going to ask people to use their imagination. So you okay. start, you started with a portrait of David Bowie, right? And you yeah. mentioned earlier that you you draw his um, portrait on paper. And, and mm-hmm. tell us what how the process evolved to the collage that you made. Okay. Well, I started with a line drawing in pencil. And that becomes my template. And uh, I like to repeat compositions. So that Bowie I've now done three times, but each Bowie collage starts with a tracing of my own drawing. So I start with a line drawing that I've done of him. And that sort of becomes a template. And I, I, I sort of paint with the paper on top of, of that line drawing. And I find when I repeat in that way, I get to know the face or the form very well. And each version both gets more abstracted, but it shifts into other areas. And, and I start to play with color and uh, depending on what I find, I don't know where it's going to head. So I like the unpredictability. But, but, and with the portraits, I like the challenge of you know, get, getting the physical likeness, but almost more important than that, trying to figure out how to capture the person or some element of the person. So it's yeah, how do, you, how, do, how do you do that? Like, how do you, are you, you listening know, to David Bowie music when you're, you're creating a portrait to kind of get it, you know, get an essence of them? I usually sure I try and find something that will, will sort of inspire me about the person and my, my, my process. I can't quite explain because I, I suppose I don't know what it is and I tend to not follow a routine. So each one sort of develops differently. And when I start them, I almost always have the same reaction. I start it and it's just a big mess. I look at it, I'm convinced, like, I've forgotten how to do this. How how do you make a portrait of somebody? I I can't do this. How did I ever do this? This You know, and I try and, you know, ignore my my, my apprehensions, my fears, and just keep on pushing through. And I lose myself. I keep working, hours pass, days pass. And I step back and I have to, not to, like, be, be hyperbolic, but it feels like it's this magical, I don't know where it's coming from, all of a sudden the face appears, and I'm like, oh, that's them. And I don't quite know how, how it happens. But it's sort of this, this magical thing from someplace. There they are. And we, and we should tell people that you're not covering the entire surface either. Sometimes the no. collage is simply that line drawing of the person, right? That I just, mm-hmm. when, when they see your, when our listeners see your work, they're going to be blown away, but it's like, like you were saying, it is kind of your paintbrush because you're, you're taking that one line of David Bowie's hair or his nose or 
the eye and you're kind of going mm-hmm. in and you're using different papers and things you found to kind of bring that, to make that image an eye versus mm-hmm. using the line, right? Exactly, exactly. And it's, it's I think it's, there's two things I try and think about, especially with the Porsche, something I like, what, what things do I want to highlight to make it more them than to serve a photograph of them? And also aesthetically, thinking abstractly, what, what makes it beautiful and my urge and my inclination is to render every little bit of, of, of face and image just the way it should be. But then, you know, I try and, and, and pull back from that and, and show restraint if I can. And like, well, actually, that isn't needed, so get rid of it. And, and, and just abstractly, to, to my sensibility, having some parts left undone creates a push. And so maybe, you know, his upper part of his face is rendered in, a, in sort of a three-dimensional stylized way, but then all of a sudden it fades out to where it's just a line and it flattens out and there's, there's an outline of another part of his face. And then maybe another part of his face sort of totally fades away. So I allow it, I try and allow it to sort of not be perfect and let those imperfections both make it more dynamic, more aesthetically pleasing to my eye, and also maybe make it more somehow represent something about this person as I see them. I love that. I mean, it's, it's a great lesson for all of us about being forgiving and not aiming for perfect. And like you said, not being perfect makes it dynamic, which we could apply to ourselves. One of the reasons yeah. I wanted you on this podcast, Tom, is because I just think collage is something any of us can do. Not not to your level, but I mean, I, I thought this was, would be kind of a fun opportunity for our listeners because I think uh, creating and just what you were telling us about mm-hmm. the process in many ways could kind of break down that toxic self-talk and put you in Definitely. a different line space. And so, um, you know, this is something you could basically do for free, right? Because you're taking mm-hmm. an old playbill, a newspaper, a Splenda wrapper. I'm looking around my house right now. A, uh, my coffee uh, thing, and and you just start creating. And so, how would you mm-hmm. tell listeners to get started? Because I I know always would love some encouragement and motivation for taking something on. And as you admitted yourself, you had in those initial moments when you're creating, sometimes you have a lot of doubt. So how yeah, what would you say to people? Because it's, it's a great medium because, like you said, anybody can do it. You've done so many different ways. I would say, you know, first, as best you can, let go of expectations and think about, you know, what, what do you want to do? Do you want to just make something beautiful that's about colors and shapes? Or do you want to represent something representational? And if you want something representational, you know, it, it, find, find your reference, um, Figure out: Are you going to are you going to draw that yourself and collage on it, or, or collage on top of a photograph of something you want to represent, and just play? And what's great about about uh, collage is, like you said, it's free. The material is free, but also it's it's very forgiving, and you can try stuff and just on your table put something down if you like it, glue it down. If you don't, take it back off. So you can just keep on putting stuff up and down and and just play. Okay, so the big try, question trust your I instincts have, and don't take, keep your standards low. Uh, the big question I have for you, which I think any artist, and I'm going to ask my friend 
songwriter Ivan Hampton Jr. about this too, is how do you know when your art is done or finished? Uh, <laughs> that's how, that's the hardest thing for me. Because, because it seems like when you're collaging, you would just keep trying new things and pulling things away, right? Like it's a, yeah. it's a continual de- deconstruct, reconstruct kind of moment. So how do you know, how do you know when to walk away, I guess is the best way to say it. Usually, well, two things. Uh, oops, excuse my dog. Uh, two things. One is I sometimes I'll let it sit for a while. I work on multiple things at once. So often if I let it sit, I go back to it. I can sort of see more clearly if it needs more help or not. But also I find when I'm working on it, if I get to the point where whatever I add or subtract makes it worse, then I'm done. So, but it, it, it's such a complicated thing, I find, it like to, to, to say, okay, it's done, sign it, finish it, you're, you're done. But usually, yeah, if I, if I find I can't improve it, if I'm making it worse, then that's a sign to me so, that it's done. Again, that's a great lesson for anyone who's going to start collaging after this program to, like, have fun with it and know that even Tom doesn't know when he's done. So if that's your issue, just feel like the rest of us could go along with it. So, Tom... Just in our final moments together, I want to know, um, you know, during the pandemic, art played such a big role in people's lives. I just, I would love to hear, you know, we talk a lot about music and film and TV when we mention that. We don't always talk about fine art. How, how, has, how, how has fine art uh, inspired you or keep you going through what we just went through with the pandemic and whatever's coming ahead? Uh, you know, I just worked. I just, you know, there, there wasn't much else to do. I just kept me focused on something. So, so you know, the past couple of years, I basically, if I wasn't sleeping, I was in the studio working. And I just kept on working and working, and uh, it kept me focused on something. And I find for me, I, I, being productive is very important. So I felt like if I, if I could keep on creating something, and if I was, if I felt like what I made was beautiful, then, then, then what, what else could I ask for? I felt lucky. And, you know, I was upset to see what was going on, but I just tried to focus in on my own small thing of, of trying to stay focused on something. I love that. I kind of I, I kind of dealt with it the same way. And I do feel like just creating in general is a, is such great therapy for working through any issues in your life and just I, helps you with overall mental wellness. Well, the next time we see true. you, Tom, we'll be on we'll be on Zoom, and you'll be giving us a live studio tour. We'll announce that date on Facebook with Tom. Tom, thank you so much for being a part of our 12th anniversary podcast. Loved having you on the show, and we'll put up your website and so people could see some of your artwork later on on our Facebook pages. Thank you, Max. My pleasure. Happy right. anniversary. Have a good night. Thank you. Thank okay, you. you too. Good night. All right. Well, I'm so excited. Coming up, I'm going to have uh, my co-songwriter for behind the UK Soul Chart Smash. How much have I wanted to say that? Behind the UK Soul Chart Smash, Mama's Kitchen Table. But first, we're going to hear a little bit more music from Babyface, our musical inspiration. This song peaked at number six on the U.S. Hot 100 Singles Chart and reached number two on the R&B Hip Hop Song Chart and garnered Babyface a Grammy Award nomination, and a Soul Train Award nomination. Here's Whip Appeal. I love this song, courtesy of Sun and Music. Somebody told me that the trouble at home 
Babyface with Whip Appeal and a live jazz uh, version that's available at Sony Music. Check it out. My next and final guest has spent a large part of his career performing and recording with various major recording artists such as Luther Vandross, Ashford and Simpson, Roberta Flack, Jennifer Lopez, Eartha Kitt, Bill Perry, and Patty Austin, who we've also celebrated on the past podcast. Please welcome to the show my friend Ivan Hampton, Jr. Hi, Ivan. Hey, hey, Max, how are you? I'm good. It's so good to hear your voice. I, thank you for being a part of the yeah. podcast tonight. I appreciate it. Oh man, uh, this pleasure. summer has Absolutely. been this, this summer has been amazing for us because uh, people would not know, but we were utterly surprised how people embraced our song so much, Mama's Kitchen Table, which we'll play in a minute. But uh, I'm just, you know, for me. I don't even know if I could put it into words. It was just so unexpected. But you've had a lot of success with music you've written for Luther Vandross, including one of my favorite Christmas songs, Mistletoe Jam. So how did this success, uh, what were you feeling when you, when you saw the success we were having with Mama's Kitchen Table? Well, I, I, I was surprised as well. You know, um, <laughs> uh, I, I was uh, totally thrilled, you know, but um, – you know that that retro groove and uh, I just it just kind of caught me by surprise. You know, um, I put out you know as you know I, you know I released all these songs and that was the one that just people gravitated toward and and it took off. You know, so I'm, I'm absolutely in love with it, man, and uh, you know. And and our our team yourself you know and working with you and and Paulette man just a magical con- connection. I have to say, like reuniting with you and Paulette to make music, and we all worked for Luther Vandross has also been uh, a wonderful experience too. There's something really healing about that. And as you mentioned, you put you put out a lot of music from the past on Spotify, Spotify and other streaming apps that actually mm-hmm. worked with other people, including Luther himself. So I, I think sometimes um, it's really interesting to hear that Luther came, how, how you got Luther to work on one of your projects versus you working on uh, one of his projects, because I think people will be surprised. I think people would love to hear your story about how Luther got involved on your project. Oh man, that that was so great. So uh this was the summer of 
99, I believe, he was in between uh, Virgin Records and preparing to sign with Clive Davis. And uh, I'm in the studio. I'm, I'm cutting these tunes. And uh, I took two, two uh, pieces of music to Nick Ashford and asked Nick if he would write with me. And he, he agreed. And he and Valerie put, put you know, put a de- uh, two demos together. And as a result of that, one, one of the songs in particular, I said, hey, man, you know, what, what are you doing? I just wrote this song with Nick Ashford. Um, would you come do background arrangements? And he said, Ivan, I'm sitting home. I'm so bored. Oh, Lord, I would love to come and do something. And he came, you know. I mean, of course, this superstar, I could have never afforded to pay him. But, you know, we had already previously written some things, and uh, he was into it. And, of course, he's close friends with uh, Nick and Val. And, um, man, you know, he came in and, uh, you know, he called the troops. He got, you know, of course, Paulette was there and uh, Sharon Bryant and, uh, you know, Cindy Mizell, all, you know, Brenda White King called the troops and got them in there and did this background arrangement and sang on it. So uh, it was ridiculous. We had a ball, you know. Of course, Luther is just a, a ball of fun. He was so always just funny as heck. So we'd be in there laughing and cracking, but getting the work done. Um, so he does that one, and he calls back. He says, Ivan, man, I had a great time. You you have any more stuff? So I ended up getting him back to, to on uh, three other songs with the you know with the same troops and just he just brought so much love and. It was ridiculous, you know. And tell everyone what those songs are, because if they go check you out on Spotify, they could, they could, uh, Ivan Hampton Jr., what are the names of those songs that Luther's? So, uh, so the first one I'm talking back about with Nick Ashford was uh, All We Need Is Love. Valerie Simpson is uh, singing lead vocal. Um, there's a song called So Good To You. Um, it's featuring... Uh, Phil Hamilton, the guitarist from Luther's band. Um, uh, there's a song called Easy Street, which is, you know, just a fun tune. Um, and uh, the uh, cover song, which is a David Gates uh, song uh, from the group Bread, is called If. And Paulette Williams is singing lead on that. And she and... Luther kind of collaborated on on the background vocal arrangements. You know, she kind of had, you know, stuff established already, and he came and and threw his his ideas on top of hers. So, uh, you know, those four songs um, are great. They just just feel good, you know. And you know, I've, I've got Nat Adley Jr. involved on. Uh, Two of those songs, he's playing piano and he did horn and string arrangements on "So Good to You." Um, you know, I just I called my friends. I got Byron Miller's playing bass on uh, "Easy Street." Uh, it just 
just a it's a love fest of collaboration. Or, you know, yeah, able to call my friends. And I I love how um, I love how generous people don't really realize how generous Luther was with his time and talent to the people around him. And I, I love that story. I, I, it, it makes, it makes me immediately think of how I just don't, I, I know people talk about his talent and all of that, but as a, as a man, as a friend, as a boss and a mm-hmm. mentor, he was just really generous. And I think that's great. Well, you mentioned Paulette McWilliams. So I guess it's time we have to play our song. Ivan, this is a thrill for me to introduce <laughs> the song. So <laughs> It's, it was on the charts for for a month. It's a, a UK yeah. soul charting song, Mama's Kitchen Table. Let's listen to it now. Awesome. Chocolate Radio, Solar Radio, BCFM for playing that song in the UK and all our UK fans. And you could hear the whole oh, song yeah. on Spotify. Uh, all right. So, Ivan, I've never got to ask you about this uh, in our final minutes together. You know, after Luther's stroke, you know, obviously we all disbanded because we were all from around, several of us from in New York and, uh, and every, mm-hmm. and, but our careers kind of all shifted. So for a while there, you were doing a little bit of freelance work with like, Stephanie Mills and Nile Rogers and Ray Chu, but then you had an opportunity yep. to go to North Carolina and leave New York. So talk a little bit about the next chapter in your life that happened after 2003. So, I mean, I was actually uh, just before Luther, you know, became ill, I had already moved. So he was flying me in and out of North Carolina. And, um, you know, once he, he went down, it was devastating, uh, you know. But um, I also went through a health issue and um, that I came out on the other side. But as part of a, a almost ther- therapy, you know, I, I began teaching. I started picking up some students, you know, and I was still – this is all during the same time I'm running in and out of town with Stephanie Mills, like you said, and, um, you know, Sheik and, and Nile and running up to New York to work with Ray Chu. But I had started uh, working with some young students, and it it was very healing, very rewarding, and I discovered, you know, I'm actually good at this, <laughs> you know. 
So um, we build, you know, um, a, a huge uh, student base and uh, eventually uh, was able to leave the place that I was teaching at and open my own situation. And while I was there, um, just before I went into my own uh, business, my own building, um, I was hired by a couple of the colleges to teach, you know, so I did adjunct. I was an adjunct professor at North Carolina Central University in Durham and also at uh, Johnston Community College here in uh, Clayton, in, uh, well, close to where I live. In, um, so I did that for a couple of years as well. And then, uh, you know, kind of got away from the college thing. It, I was just not feeling <laughs> the, 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 the bureaucracy of, of what that was. And, um, you know, I, you know I've just, always admired you. I, I admire you so much for how you reinvented yourself after that. I mean, a lot of, Obviously, his stroke was devastating on a personal level, but also for many of us on a professional level. And I just always looked up to you for being able to transition the way you did. And, you know, it's never easy. It wasn't easy for me. You know, I don't think it was easy mm-hmm. for a lot of people. And we we yeah. survived and, and we're, you know, still doing things and making music. And it's amazing. And I heard that you actually have a Christmas song coming out this year. So I wanted to know all about it, Ivan. What, what's, coming out, what's coming out in the fall? Yeah, so this fantastic team who just had this hit record out in Europe, uh, myself, you, and Paulette, we put the, we, you know, you came up with this great idea, Max, and that I love. So we have a song called Pink Champagne, and uh, it's going to get released for the Christmas holidays. But, uh, you know, honestly, I, I feel like it's it's something that is going to go beyond that. You know, it's, it's such a great story. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but um, we put together, you know, um, you came with this wonderful uh, lyric and story. And uh, during the pandemic, you know, I was I was here, stuck at home like everybody else. I was teaching virtually, but I was writing. And I had this piece of music that kind of just fit like a glove on, on the story. And Paulette got hold of that with your lyric, and she came with great melody. And so, you know, I'm excited about... Uh, this song is very special. It's, it's very different, and I think uh, you know. Hopefully, it's it's going to attract some of the same interest uh, that this this last one we did. I know. I, I was wanted to mute myself out, but yeah, no. It it's a. Um, I hope people. I'm looking forward to us releasing it. It was so much fun to work with you guys again on another song. And, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I'll talk more about this at the holidays with people, but I was very much inspired by uh, Nancy Wilson and also Eartha Kitt. So in the final moments, I have like two more minutes with you. I just want to know about Eartha Kitt because I'm a huge fan. You toured with Eartha Kitt. Was she at all like yeah. her stage persona or was she completely different? Was it? She was like that aunt. She loved the band. She took care of us. 
she was, uh, you know, she was a doll, man. She was uh, such a special person. Um, you know, she she went through a lot in in this business. Um, oh yeah. You know, she, she yeah, she went through a lot. Um, and she would occasionally talk about some of that stuff, but she was just so loving, man. She we would go and you know, do shows with her. She made sure that, you know, they they, they took care of, you know, you you take care of my boys, you know. And, and occasionally, after the gigs, she liked to, you know, she was a dancer. You had to dance with her. Okay, who's next? <laughs> so we she would have us dancing at the end of the gig with her sometimes, you know. So she was a lot of fun. She was such a sweet, sweet uh, woman and a uh, just a huge icon, man. You know, the people people Tim, they would fall over them all over themselves when they saw her walk in the room and on the stage. So man, can we just just a diva, true true diva uh, of life? That's what I wanted to hear. Just a diva. That's how we're going to wrap up our show tonight. Just a diva. I love that. Thank you, Ivan, for joining us for our 12th year anniversary podcast and just sharing the, mo- the memories of Luther, Eartha Kit, and also our song collaboration, Mom's Kitchen Table. Look for Pink Champagne. And, and check out Ivan's website, Hampton Town Music. You've got lessons going on down in North Carolina, but other music on Spotify and things for people to hear. So definitely uh, check out Ivan Hampton Jr. All right, we're going to uh, oh, wrap thanks, this thanks, podcast up. Thanks for having me, Mac. Thank you. We're going to wrap this podcast up with a hit, one of uh, that many consider to be Babyface's first major hit. It was actually recorded with his band, The Deal. It's called Two Occasions. It peaked at number 10 on the U.S. <laughs> Hot 100. Remember, every diva has an entourage, and I'm so glad to be part of yours. Let's stay happy and healthy together, at least for 12 more years. Here's Two Occasions by The Deal on our anniversary podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.